Tonight we are in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew's Gospel chapter 9, and uh, we are continuing our way through this wonderful Gospel that presents the Lord Jesus as the King of the Jews, and uh, we want to begin reading in verse 18 of Matthew's Gospel chapter 9, and we'll read it down to verse 26. Matthew chapter 9, beginning reading in verse 18. And reading down to verse 26. It says, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. I believe, and I hope you believe this, but I believe that Jesus will save anyone who asks him. You've heard me say that I suspect many times. It matters not whether you're young or old, man or woman, rich or poor. It makes no difference whatsoever if your sins are coarse and crude or indeed if they are clever and sophisticated, the fact of the matter is that if you will repent of sin and call upon the name of the Lord, that he will receive you, and he receives all who come unto him by faith believing. And tonight's text proves that very thing. Now last week we looked at the testimony of Matthew in verse 9, and how that as he sat at his desk, his receipt of custom, performing his uh, job as a tax collector, the Lord Jesus came along and said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And of course there would have been, as we discussed last Sunday evening, much surprise among the disciples at Jesus approaching a fellow like Matthew who was considered a traitor to Israel and one who was a traitor to the faith of his fathers. Well, we move on tonight to verse 18, and here we read the account of two people who come to the Lord. And they come from very different backgrounds, but both came with very deep personal needs. And Jesus met them at the point of their need. Now, that's the Jesus I know. He loves people. 
He cares about people. His desire is to help, not to hinder. He's come to save and not to condemn. He's come to pull you out of a pit, not to dig a hole for you. And that's not to say that he won't ultimately judge men in the end, for he will, and we know the Bible teaches that he will. But it is to say that right now, in this age of grace, he, by the means of the Scriptures and the Spirit of God, is reaching out to all men and will have all men to be saved if they would but turn from sin and trust him as their Savior. Well, let's look tonight at these two very different individuals whom we encounter in Matthew's Gospel. Beginning in verse 18, let's meet the ruler of the synagogue. It says, While he spake these things unto them, Behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Now Matthew doesn't tell us an awful lot about this man, but the other gospel writers do fill in some of the missing details, and they expand upon this count. And so we know this man's name is Jairus. We know that he's not just a ruler in general, but he's a ruler of the Jewish synagogue in Capernaum. And his role there is to oversee the worship of God. This is a minister. This is a pastor. This is someone who is a religious leader of sorts. And he has this role of leading people in worship, supervising the affairs of the synagogue. And as such, he is a leading light in his community. He's someone that people looked up to. He's someone who has a position of trust. And he has this position by means of election. In other words, uh, people respected Jairus. They thought he was somebody, somebody worth placing their trust in. And so on the Sabbath days, it was Jairus who would have opened the scriptures and read them in the synagogue. It was Jairus who would have led the people in prayer. It was Jairus who invited guest speakers to come to the pulpit. And in many ways, he was the judge and the counselor and the lawyer and the confidant of people in the town of Capernaum. He was, without doubt, a figure of repute in that place. But Jairus had a problem. Now, I want you to listen to his problem. His little girl was dying. He had a daughter and she was dying. In fact, Matthew portrays him as telling Jesus that the girl was nigh dead. In other words, she was as good as dead. There was no hope for her. And the other gospel writers tell us that this little girl was his only child and that she was but 12 years of age. Now, when a young Jewish girl turned the age of 12, she went through a rite of passage that is known as the Bat Mitzvah, in which it was publicly declared that she was moving from childhood to adulthood and being turned over to the grace of God for keeping. And so this girl was at that particular place in her life. And no doubt, Jairus remembered that happy day when the family would have celebrated the 12th birthday of his daughter, would have been rejoicing in all that the life held for her and looking forward uh, to many things together, looking forward with great aspiration as to what adult life I had in store for her. That was a happy day. It was one of those days in your life that you remember. One of those days you look back on and you say, do you remember that bat mitzvah? Do you remember that day when we committed our daughter unto the Lord? But this day, this day of which we read tonight was a very different day. It was a sad day. It was a difficult day. 
Uh, this was a day when things had turned from good to bad. This was a day when far from uh, rejoicing in the youthfulness of this child, this child now lay deathly ill and was in the course of passing away. I'm going to tell you something and you best take note of it tonight. Tragedy and distress and disease and death are no respecter of persons. You see, Jairus' position wouldn't allow him to bypass problems. Though he was a devout man, though he was a man who carried a measure of authority in that community, though he was a man who commanded respect among the people, still the angel of death came knocking on his front door. Someday that happens to us all. But how many of us there are perhaps who think that because we're young or because we're healthy or because we have means or because we have faith of some kind that somehow death and dying are just not going to come our way, that, we're, that they're somehow going to pass us by. Friends, that's a folly, absolute folly. Listen to me. Bereavement and death comes to us all. The Bible says this, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then passes away, then vanisheth away. You know, the first death in Scripture was not of an old man, but a young man. It was not of a father, but of a son. It wasn't a natural death. It was a tragic death. And here we see exactly the same thing. A 12-year-old girl is lying on her deathbed. She's breathing her last. The doctors have shook their heads. They don't know what to do. They don't know what medicine to give. They don't know what treatment to apply. And so they've left and they've walked away, leaving this child in the arms of her distressed and distraught parents they're in total despair, hugging this lifeless form of a child, waiting for death to take her altogether. Well, Jairus knew something of Jesus. And although his peers would have despised Jesus, this man decided that Christ was his only hope. And I want you to notice the little word in verse 18, the word behold. While he speak these things unto them, behold. It means look, pay attention. It says, look at who's coming. Look of all people who it is that is approaching Jesus now. You see, the arrival of this man is startling. It's unexpected. It's unanticipated. This would be something akin to Joe Biden asking Donald Trump for help. It's, it's just not going to happen. And if the disciples had been taken aback by the thought of Jesus approaching Matthew at his text desk, they were doubly surprised by the arrival of this high-ranking Jewish official. Now, unlike Nicodemus, of whom we read in John's Gospel, uh, Jairus didn't come by night to see Jesus. He came in broad daylight. He came so that all his peers could see, all of his neighbors would know exactly where he was going. He didn't care what other people around him were thinking of him. He came right there where all his peers and all of his neighbors would observe what's happening. And notice what it says, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him. The other gospel writers say that he fell at the, at the feet of the Lord and worshipped him. That's swallowing your pride. 
Listen to me tonight. If you're going to be saved, you have to swallow your pride. You have to admit you're wrong. You have to agree with God. You have to turn your back on all those things that you've been holding tight to. You see, here's a man who came and he was in trouble and he was willing to get himself out of that trouble. But to do so, he, he knew he had to humble himself. And that's how it is when a person comes to Christ. You can't come to Christ in pride. You can't come to Christ in self-ego. You can't come to Christ with self-regard. No, you have to lower yourself. You have to humble yourself. You see, the Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So here's a man and he had a need. And he believed that Jesus couldn't meet that need. And notice his request in verse 18. It's a simple one, though by no means an easy one. He says, my daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. You know, as, the New Testament, as far as the New Testament record is concerned, and I want you to get this, to this point in his ministry, Jesus hasn't raised anybody. He hasn't raised Lazarus, that's some time off. He hasn't raised the widow's son at Nain. He hasn't raised a single soul. And yet this man comes and he has this belief that if his daughter should pass away, that if the Lord would just lay his hand upon her, she would live. He's holding to resurrection truth. And in response to that great faith, bearing in mind that Christ had performed no such miracle to this date, holy because of that measure of faith, that remarkable level of trust, the Lord Jesus responds positively to the man's request. And notice in verse 19, he follows him and so did his disciples. But as he's on his way to this man's door, he's distracted en route by a woman with the issue of blood. Look in verse 20. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood, 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that Hour. Now, I want you to notice again, verse 20, a little word, behold. You see that word? You see it there in verse 18, and you see it again in verse 20. Matthew's saying the same thing. Look at this one. He says, look at this one. Here comes the ruler of the synagogue. He comes to Jesus. Look at this one. Here comes a woman who's been diseased with an issue of blood for some 12 years. She's coming to Jesus. Matthew wants you to see this diseased woman making her approach to the Savior. And this woman had what would be, we, we, would, we would call a, a dysfunctional uterine bleeding, which at the very least would have been a chronic iron deficiency, and it would have resulted in consequent anemia, which would have made this woman incredibly ill, incredibly fatigued, and she had been in that condition for some 12 years. And to make matters worse, she had spent the entirety of her savings on physicians and doctors trying to find a cure. Mark says this, she had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered but grew worse. You know, friends, there's some conditions a doctor 
can't help. There comes a day when every doctor must look at his patients and say, there's nothing more that I can do. And you're in trouble in that hour. Because when the doctor is done with you, you're at the mercy of God. And not only was this a woman exhausted all the time physically, but she would have been rejected all the time by her community because of this issue of blood, because she was uh, bleeding, and that would have made her unclean. That would actually have excluded her from going into the synagogue. She couldn't have worshipped. She couldn't have gone there. She couldn't have taken part in any of the services in that place. Normally a woman like this would have stayed away from crowds. She definitely wouldn't have been close enough to touch people because they wouldn't have wanted her to touch them and they would have feared that she would have made them unclean. But here on this occasion, she pushes her way through the crowd so that she might find herself at the feet of Jesus, that she might touch the Lord. And her only hope, as far as she's concerned, is to touch the hem of his garment. To reach out and to grab one of those tassels that would have fallen down from his garment and just to lay hold on it so in her mind there might be some magical power that would move from him to her and bring her some degree of cleansing. Now here's the interesting thing. Though she touched his clothing in a crowd, and bear in mind she would have touched just a tassel, She wasn't touching his shirt sleeve where he would have felt her hand upon his skin. No, she touched a tassel. This would be like touching the bottom of my tie. It's unlikely if I didn't notice it that I would feel it. And so here this woman touches a part of Jesus' garment that is not close to his flesh. And yet with all, notice his response. Let's look in Mark chapter 5 this evening. Mark chapter 5. I want you to see how the Lord responds to this. Mark chapter 5. And let's begin reading in verse 30. It says, And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press, turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, I love this because you know what this tells me? It tells me that the Lord Jesus is sensitive to my needs. It tells me that the Lord Jesus is sensitive to your needs. It tells me that such is his sensitivity that even when one were to touch a tassel on his garment, he would understand the need of that person and respond accordingly. It tells me that no matter how pressed about he is, it tells me that no matter how the crowd may gather around him, that he has a great heart with which to care, that he's not so busy that he doesn't care for me. A little chorus that you might sing sometimes, reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. 
You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment your need to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. And I want you to notice how the Lord draws attention to this woman. He says, who touched my clothes? And the disciples are incredulous. They're like, you've got to be kidding here. There's hundreds of people here. How can you turn around and say, who t- everybody's touching your clothes. Lots of people are brushing past you. What sort of question is that to ask? Who touched my clothes? And then notice, not only does he say, who touched my clothes, but he turns and looks at the very person who did touch his clothes. That he looked at her and he began to address her. And you might wonder, well, why is the Lord drawing attention to her in the midst of this crowd? I mean, here's a woman who has come surreptitiously. Here is a woman who has come quietly. Here is a woman who has come secretly. Here's a woman who doesn't want to be seen. A woman who doesn't want to be named. A woman who doesn't want to be identified. And yet in the midst of that crowd, the Lord exposes her. You say, why would he do that? Let me give you a number of reasons why he did it. Number one, he did it that she would know that she was healed, having heard it from the word of God. Number two, he did it so as others would know she was healed because her ailment to this point was private in nature. Number three, he did it so she would know that she was healed and it was by her faith that she was healed and not because of some superstitious notion that touching his clothes would heal her. And he did it so that she would never Feel the need to hide from him again. You know, sometimes we get this idea that we should hide from the Lord. Let me tell you, there's no point in hiding from the Lord. There's no point in trying to shy away from him. He wants to hear from you. And he did it so that Jairus, who's probably a little frustrated at this point in time, you know, he's probably a little bit urgent and pressing. He's thinking, my daughter's dying here, and he wants to know who touched him. My daughter's about to pass away, and, and he's concerned about who grabbed him. The Lord wants Jairus to know that he can have confidence in him. So the Lord turned back to Jairus and to his need. Look back with me in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 23. It says, and when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, give place for the maid. The girl is not dead, but sleepeth. That's a euphemism uh, for death, but it's for the death of the believer. He says, give, give place for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when the people were put forth, he went in And took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame hereof went abroad into all the land. Now notice that when he arrives at her house, that the home of Jairus is filled with minstrels. It says that he saw the minstrels in her house. There's a bit of a racket going on. Now these minstrels, quite literal, if you look it up in the Greek, it's flute players. There were people playing little whistles, little flutes. And you see, death in the Middle East is very different from uh, our, our death and our uh, funeral traditions are very different from their funeral tr- tr- traditions. And so you go into a, a home of mourning here and it's a place of, of quiet whispers and perhaps soothing music. 
But in the Middle East, there were, they would be met, you'd be met by loud wailing and crying and professional mourners and those folks who would be making a cacophony of noise with musical instruments weren't playing any particular tune, mind you. They'd just be making a noise, just making a, a caterwauling in order to make some kind of sound of grief. And Jesus has very little time for any of this. He says, look, get out of here. Uh, we, don't want it. we don't need this. He says, give place for the, for the maid is not dead. Get out of here. He says, the maid is not dead but sleeping. Now I want you to notice in verse 24, it says, they laughed him to scorn. Can I say to you that some people can stand just about anything except somebody laughing at them? Grown men can take about anything you throw at them, except that somebody should humiliate them by making fun of them, by laughing at them. You know, I remember when I was first saved, when I first became a Christian, you know, I became the butt of a joke among my, uh, among my workmates, among my colleagues. And they would play all kinds of tricks on me in the office. You know, they'd, uh, you know, they'd do terrible things. I'd, I'd be walking down the office and they'd get a, a pornographic picture and they'd tape it to my back and then they'd mock me. They'd put pornography in my drawers and I'd open my drawer to get my pens. There'd be pornography. And they thought it was hilarious. And they thought it was funny. And I thought it was humiliating. And you know, they, they made such light of me. And, and yet here I had been at one point the center of the party. Here I had been at the heart of this group of friends. Now I'm on the outside. At one point I had been the fellow who had been pointing at others and laughing and mocking and scorning. But at this point, I'm the one who's been laughed at and mocked and scorned. And it's hard to take, isn't it? And now they're laughing and scorning at Jesus. Can I say this to you? Some people won't get saved because they're afraid of what other people will say. Some people won't get saved because they're afraid of, of how other people will react, that they'll become a figure of fun, that they will be made light of, that someone's going to make them the object of mockery. Let me say to you tonight, other folks may laugh you into hell, but they'll never laugh you out of hell. People can laugh you into hell, but they'll never laugh you out of hell. And you know what? Even looking back in my Christian life in those early days as a young Christian, accepting all of this abuse from people who were previously my friends, people I went and partied with and drank with, and now all of a sudden I'm the figure of fun in that company. Here's what I tell you tonight. I'd rather go to heaven alone than go to hell in company. You hear what I say? I would rather go to heaven alone then go to hell in company. Don't you let the crowd harass you into hell. Don't you let people laugh you into a lost eternity. Don't you fear what man may do unto you. Well, having put them out, Jesus took this little girl by the hand and speaking in his native Aramaic tongue, he says to her, Talitha kumi, made Arise. He says, girl, get up. Get up. And guess what? She got up. And she arose. You know, the Canadian scientist G.B. Hardy one time said this. When I looked at religion, I said I have two questions. Number one, has anybody ever conquered death? And number two, if they have, did they make a way for me to conquer death? 
He said, I checked the tomb of Buddha and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Confucius and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Muhammad and it was occupied. And I came to the tomb of Jesus and it was empty. And I said, there's one who has conquered death. There's the answer to my first question. But then I asked the second question. Did he make a way for me to do it? And I opened the Bible and I discovered, because I live, you shall live also. And he said, I realized in that moment that Jesus had the power to give me life after death. And that's what you see in this text. You find one who has the power to give you life after death. You see, here's the deal. Jesus will give you life for death, he'll give you heaven for hell, he'll give you freedom and forgiveness in the place of shame and disgrace. But as we close tonight, and it's a very simple message, I want you to compare these two people because there's a wonderful truth here. You see, the first was a man, Jairus, and the second was a woman. One was wealthy and the other one was poor. The first was respected and the second was rejected. Jairus was somebody in that community. Everyone knew him. That lady was a nobody in the community. Nobody knew her. Jairus held a place of honor in the community and this woman was made to feel somehow a a figure of shame among among that community. He led synagogue worship. She was kept out of the synagogue. He came to Jesus openly. She came to Jesus secretly. He had a 12-year-old daughter. She had a 12-year-old disease. His daughter brought him 12 years of delight. Her disease brought her 12 years of despair and distress. And here's the thing. He had all his needs met at Jesus' feet. And guess what? She had all her needs met at Jesus' faith. You see, that's the long and short of it. Whosoever will may come. That's the beauty of the gospel. Whosoever will may come. Do you see what I'm telling you tonight? As far as Matthew was concerned, some thought owing to his job, he shouldn't come. As far as Jairus was concerned, some thought because of his high-ranking position in the community, he wouldn't come. And as far as this woman was concerned, they thought because of the issue of blood that she had, she couldn't come. But Jesus says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He said, I'll take you whoever you are. Wherever you come from, whatever your background, whatever you've done, man or woman, boy or girl, he says, I'll take you. I'll take you whether you're rich, I'll take you whether you're poor. I'll take you if people respect you, and I'll take you if people reject you. I'll take you if you're black, and I'll take you if you're white. I'll take you if you're Protestant, and I'll take you if you're Catholic. It matters not one bit. Come to Jesus, and he will take you as he finds you. He'll take you as you are. If you'd cry, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner, guess what? He will. He will be merciful unto you. If you will call out the name of the Lord and ask to be saved, guess what? He will save you. 
You see, he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. Listen, Scripture is clear tonight. God will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So at the very close of Scripture, we have a great invitation telling us that whosoever will may come. Whoever is a thirst may drink. Whoever is hungry may eat. Whoever is in need may ask. And he will receive whoever seeks. And whoever seeks shall find. Whosoever is weary and heavy laden may come and secure rest. You see, here's the deal. Whosoever will may come. And you can come tonight. You see, it's not a closed shop. This is not a secret society that we're running here. It's not a private club that we're running here. There's no mystery to it. There's no mystique to it. There's no secret formula. There's no special handshake. No, you can come just as you are from wherever you are, no matter what you've done, nor no matter what has been done to you. Whosoever will may come. I wonder, will you come tonight? I wonder, will you admit yourself a sinner? I wonder, will you believe that Jesus died, was buried and rose again for your sins? And I wonder, will you call upon him to save you? If you'll do that tonight, you can be a Christian. You can have your sins forgiven and you can have heaven as your home. May God 